Good morning. We are continuing to look at the book of Titus, a letter that is written that was written by Paul to uh, his uh, friend and fellow servant Titus, who uh, and and he was giving Titus instructions as Titus was finishing up ministry on the island of Crete, in order to help Titus see you know what it, what needs to be done in order to set up the church in in Crete for success and and to move forward in a healthy way. Um, and I don't know about you, but I recognize that in my own life, it's, it's a lot easier to drift towards unhealthy living than healthy living. It's, it's easier to eat unhealthily than it is to eat healthily for me. It's easier to not exercise than to exercise. I think that is the case for uh, the spiritual life as well and for the church. Um, and, and that is one thing that Paul addresses here with Titus and uh, so listen, we're going to read, read uh, God's word from Titus 1. I'm going to start at verse 9, which is the last verse that uh, Tyler looked at a couple weeks ago where Paul is giving Titus some instruction about appointing elders and, and what needed to characterize them. And, and the last thing he told him that, they need, that needed to characterize them is that they needed to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's verse 9. Now, continue listening as I read verse 10 and up through verse 16. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars. Evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the faith, from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us as we look at these words that Paul wrote so many years ago. And, and we pray that you would help us to see how they apply to our own lives as we seek to follow you, as we seek to 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 live lives in response to you as we seek to live lives of belief and trust. Lives that uh, are consistent with what is true. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I have, uh, I mean, known this for a long time, but uh, we are so incredibly spoiled, and, and I've, I've been kind of confronted with this even more so in the last uh, couple weeks as I've watched a TV show called Alone uh, that Brian Kim has got me into, but it's basically a, a reality show where they take these survival experts, if you want to call them that, and, and they drop them into the wilderness completely alone, all kind of separated by miles and miles. And, uh, and they're, they're allowed to bring 10 items with them to try to survive. And the, the competition is just who can survive out there the longest before they you know, call and say, come, please come pick me up. They, they have nothing, nothing but their, their own kind of wits and, and, and 
energy to figure out how they, how they can survive. And, and, and immediately you, you realize, you know, everybody's focusing on the essentials, you know, the necessities of life. They, they immediately like trying to build a shelter and, and, they, and they look for a source of water and a source of, of food and they, and they build fire. You know, these are the things that they absolutely have to have. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just, as I watch this, you know, I, I realize we are so incredibly spoiled because there's all these necessities of life that we don't even think about. We, don't even, we totally take them for granted. We don't even think about them. Like, for, for example, the, these guys are looking for a source of water. Not only do they have to find a source of some fresh water, but they realize that even when they find that source of fresh water, that stream where they can collect some water, that there's still a very good possibility that that, that water is contaminated with something, that they need to somehow figure out how to purify it, how to, how to get rid of the contaminants. And, and most of the people boil that water if they can get a fire started. Um, this last week, I watched an episode where a guy, you know, he, he's, they're, they're in a place where everything is completely soaked with rain. And so it's really hard to start fires. This guy hasn't been able to start a fire. So he finds some moss and he pours the water through the moss in hopes that that will filter it enough for him to drink and continue to be healthy. And as I'm watching this, he's, I'm like, I'm not sure if that's really going to work for this guy or not, you know? Um, but the reason I say I'm, we're so spoiled because the thing that I have to worry about with my water is, I've mentioned this before, you know, the, the light on my refrigerator that tells me I need to replace the filter in my refrigerator that's filtering the water that's already pretty safe for me to drink anyways. That's what I have to worry about. But these guys have to worry about real things that are contaminating the water that might do real harm to them. And so it's something that they have to be completely um, concerned with and thinking about is how can they deal with the contamination that might be in the water so, so that it's healthy for them. And as Paul writes to Titus, he's concerned about something similar, what, what might be contaminating the church and, and what might be contaminating the faith of the people on Crete as he gives Titus some instruction. This is why he urges Titus to appoint elders who will be able to instruct people in sound doctrine. And later on, in, in verse 13, he says, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. That word sound, um, when it's used in other contexts, that very same word is, is actually can be translated as health or healthy. He's worried about the church being healthy and free of contaminants. Um, and, uh, and then in verse 14 and 15, he, he talks about those who are, uh, are pure and those who are defiled right? Those who are pure and those who are contaminated. He's, he's concerned about making sure that the, that the faith of the people in Crete is, is pure and free of contaminants. And, and I think we have to be just as concerned about this in our own lives and in our own church community, that, that our faith be free of contaminants and contamination so that we're living as healthy as possible. Um, as we follow God and as we, as we try to live the lives that he's called us to live. And, and so this, this passage highlights a few things, I think, about how we can try to make sure that we're free of contamination, of our faith being contaminated by the wrong things. First, I, I think, and I'm going to spend most of my time on this, that, that it highlights this, this really strong pull towards contamination. As I mentioned, Paul tells Titus to appoint elders so that they'll teach sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Why? Because in the church, there is this strong pull, there's this influence that's, that's constantly pulling the people towards or away from the truth of the gospel. 
from the truth of the, of the beauty and the goodness and the sufficiency of Jesus and all that he's done for them. If you have ever been to the beach or the shore, if you live in New Jersey, um, if you've ever, ever gone to the, gone to the beach and, and, you, and, you, and you set up your camp, you know, you put your towels down and you put your, your beach chairs out, and then you walk down into the water, and you get into the water, even up to your knees or your thighs or your waist, and you spend even just, you know, a minute in the water, you know that as you look back up at the beach to where you put your towels, what's happened? They've moved, right? It seems like they've moved. Um, but the reality is, is actually the, the water, the current of the water has been constantly like pushing and pulling on you to either move you down the beach or up the beach, right? Um, you can't, it's really hard to stay in one place when you're in the ocean. Um, this is absolutely, you know, a hazard as you take little kids to the beach and, you, and, and they're, you know, they go in there and they're playing and you're constantly like, come on, you have to come back, come back, move back up the beach, move back up, move back up. Or you tell them to get in, you know, up the ocean a little bit so you know that they're going to come down to where you're, where you're supposed to be. But I think this is, this is exactly you know, similar to what is happening in every church, in every Christian's life. Is there's, there are these forces that are constantly pulling us away from the truth, the truth that Paul has originally preached to, the, to those in Crete. Uh, the truth that we have received through the word of God about the gospel of Jesus, that he has come and lived and died and risen again to, to pay for our sins, to make us acceptable to God, to be able to know him. There's this constant pull away from that. And the only way, like when you're in, in the ocean, the only way for you to be able to stay in one place is if you, if you stand there facing the sand, facing where your towels are, and you fix your eyes on the towels and you make sure, you know, I'm gonna like use all of my energy to keep myself here, Right? Um, and so in the same way, I think, I think we need to, to, to be aware of the forces that are pulling us away from the gospel. And, uh, and, and this pull, I want to highlight just a few things about this, this pull towards contamination, okay? First of all, it consists of many voices. In verse 10, he says, there are many, right, who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. These, these voices, these influences that are pulling people away from the gospel of Jesus, from the truth of Jesus, come from many directions. It's not just from one source. There are those who are, who are you know, just, there's a bunch of empty talk. There are those who are intentionally trying to deceive. There's those who are, who are just out for, for shameful gain, for, for selfish motives. These voices come from all different directions, from many different directions. I think it's important for us to recognize that, that as we live our lives, those of us who, who have received the work of Jesus for us, we have to realize that there are many different voices all around us that, that they don't just come from one source, from one place. They're all over the place, kind of pulling us away from the truth that Jesus' sacrifice for us is enough and that he's sufficient. Um, they're, they're in the popular culture that we consume on a daily basis. The TV shows we watch, the movies we watch, the music we listen to. It's, it's in, in like our involvement in social media, just the posts that other people make, the comments that we read. All, you know, it can in subtle ways pull us away from the reality of who God is and who he tells us we are and who he has said Jesus is. Um, the, these voices even come from inside of us. You know, these voices that, that you know, are, are continually bombarding us saying that, you know, what 
the way that you have lived your life is too shameful. What Jesus has done isn't enough. God doesn't really care. God doesn't really see you. God isn't really present with you in the midst of this painful thing that you're going through. These voices are many and come from all sorts of different directions. That's the first thing about the pull towards contamination. The second is that this this pull towards contamination is uniquely shaped by the culture in which we live and that shapes us. I think it's, it's actually really humorous in here in verse 12 where Paul basically roasts every single Cretan to ever live, right? Um, I mean, he's writing to Titus, but you gotta figure that, that Titus is probably gonna share this letter with at least the leadership in the church, but probably a lot of others, you know? And this letter does end up getting shared with the wider church, right? And, and Paul just completely disses Cretans, by, but he does it in kind of the, most, the least offensive way possible by quoting one of their own people, one of their own prophets, it says in verse 12. One of, the, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Ouch, that hurts. And, and then Paul goes on to say, this testimony is true. This is actually true, what this prophet has said. This, the, this, the DNA of Cretans is, is that they have a tendency towards not really holding tightly to truth right? They're always liars. They're, they're beastly in the way that they live, in the way that they kind of respond to life, maybe without much thought. I, I don't know. Um, they're, they're lazy. This is in the DNA of all Cretans. And, and this DNA impacts those who are going to try to influence the church to move away from the gospel, to be contaminated by something false. But also it, 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 it impacts those who are listening to them, to potentially move away. And so for those who, who are from Crete and actually who read this and hear this, it would have taken some, a considerable amount of humility to hear Paul say this, right? And to say, yeah, wow, Paul, that is maybe true. I, I need to kind of look at the way that I've you know, been brought up and the, the way that the culture has shaped me, <laughs> the, this Cretan culture that has shaped me, and think about how that might move me to, to, to have a tendency to move away from the truth of the gospel, to be contaminated by other, other things, things that are false. And, and I think we, as, as I read that, I am convicted to, to, to have the same kind of humility in looking at my own culture and the way that it has shaped me and how that might pull me away from the truth of what God says about my own sin, about my own need for him, about the, the, the way to know him is by trusting in Jesus and receiving what he has done for me. Um, and, and so I, I think it's important for us to, to, to really reflect as Americans, what is it about being an American that, uh, that might be bad for me in receiving the gospel? Um, we just celebrated the 4th of July last week, right? I wonder how many of us hummed along to the song, you know, proud to be an American. Uh, what, is it, what does it mean to be an American? I mean, among other things, it, it means that we are fiercely individualistic and we are proud and we can be arrogant in the way that we think that we're kind of the center of the universe and, and, and we're just kind of like 
what we believe and know is, is the absolute truth. And, and uh, there, there's this real sense of self-sufficiency in our country. Um, and, and that can be a problem for those who want to, to actually interact with and believe the gospel, which says a lot of things that are opposite those things, right? Uh, it, it's not about relying on myself. It's about receiving what God has done for me and relying on him. It's not about being proud and arrogant. It's about being weak and humble. Um, it's not about you know, being so fiercely individualistic and, and clinging to my rights and fighting for my rights, but it's about laying down my rights in order to love others and serve them. Um, I think it's, it's important for us to recognize how has being an American um, or, or what other cultural influences have, have, have influenced you as you've grown up? You know, how, how, is, how have those things um, influenced the way that you look at life and, and maybe the way that you have trouble actually responding to the gospel and living it out? Um, that's the second thing about the poll. The third thing that I just want to mention briefly is that there's a danger that the poll doesn't just come from outsiders of the church, but actually from those within the church itself. Verse 16 says, they profess to know God, these people who are defiled and unbelieving, these deceivers. They profess to know God. These people who are influencing the church to be contaminated and to move away from the truth of the gospel are, are voices that, that, that are from within the church. They profess to know God. And so it's, it's important that, that we recognize that, that the, the pull away from the gospel doesn't just come from outside of us. It, it can come from inside as well. It, it can come from, from the pulpit, from the person talking, me. And we need to be careful as we listen to those who proclaim to know God, who profess to know God. And, and as, as, as we hear what is proclaimed as truth, to always be comparing it to the word of God. That's why in verse nine, you know, he says, you need to, to, to appoint leaders who are able to give instruction in sound doctrine, right? Who, who can hold firm to the trustworthy word as it was taught. We need to hold firm to the, to the word of God. We need to know the word of God well enough that, that we can filter what we hear, even from within the church, even from, from pastors, even from people who, have, who, who are incredibly popular, you know, people who are famous, people whose podcasts we love to listen to. We need to be filtering it all through the word of God to make sure it's not contaminated. And, and he gives us actually a little, a little pointer of, you know, one, here's one way that you can actually figure out how you can actually filter things out is, is he says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. One way that you, can, that you can say, you know, well, well what, what this person is teaching is, is some, some evidence that this person, person is teaching is, is actually trustworthy, is in addition to, to comparing it to God's word, is, is looking at this person's life. And, not, and, and when we talk about their works, we're not talking about a person who, who's famous and has a huge influence and, and tons of people are listening to him. You know, it's not about numbers. It's about the quality of this person's life, the character. Are they, are they actually living in a way that reflects God, doing works that reflect the heart of God. They're, they're living in a, a way that is sacrificial, a way that is loving, a way that is kind, that's displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Compassionate, faithful, patient, humble. 
And so this is the pull towards contamination. You know, it, it comes from all sorts of different places. It's, it's shaped by our own culture. It can come from even within the church, from those who profess to know God. We need to be careful. We need to be vigilant. And so the question is, what is the prescription? And if you're following along in the outline, I'm going to spend very little time on this point, okay? So it, I, I'm addressing it now, but be careful. We're going to be, we'll be moving past it real quick. That what's the prescription that Paul gives Titus as we seek to filter out the contaminants of the gospel? Well, to get clean and healthy water, we need to boil it or pour it through some kind of filter. Paul says when you encounter influences that are contaminating the gospel, we need to take uncompromising action, right? He says they must be silenced in verse 11. Later on in verse 13, he says, rebuke them sharply. It's not enough just to ignore. we, We need to interact and we need to take action. We need to silence these voices, We need to rebuke them sharply. We can't just ignore it, but we need to identify it and we need to say, no, that is not the truth, whether it's coming from inside of us or outside of us. We need to make a mental note, no, this is not the truth. We need to silence it and prevent it from actually making any headway into our mind and our heart. But I think as I move past point two into point three, however, the, the most effective way to keep from being pulled away from the truth, as I said in the beginning, when you're, when you're in the ocean, you know, the, the most effective way from being pulled away from, from keeping in line with your, your campsite, your, your towels and your beach chairs, is to keep your eyes fixed on your towels and strain to make sure you stay there. The, the most effective way to keep from being pulled away from the truth is to, is to make sure that your priority is to fix your mind and heart on the truth itself. Fix your mind and heart on the truth itself. And so the question is, what exactly is the truth that we need to prioritize and make sure that we're not pulled away from? I've already kind of talked about a little bit, but it's the gospel, right? But it's very much connected to what he says in verse 15, where he says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Why is Paul saying this? What is, what is he talking about when he's comparing pure, the pure and the defiled? Well, it seems to me that the, the primary issue that Paul is addressing here in Crete, in this passage especially, is this tendency of some people to say, and, and, we've, and he's, he addresses it in other places in the Bible too, you know, we, we just went through the book of Colossians, something similar, where, where people were saying, you know, Jesus is, is great, what Jesus has done for us is great, but there's more, we need to do more, we need to incorporate more commands, more rules, and when he talks about the pure and the defile, there, there's this kind of, um, in the Old Testament, there's this teaching over and over again about this idea of being clean and unclean. There are these laws that God gives the Israelites um, about being clean. And and, and the laws were given to them in order to help them understand how, how unclean they were, how holy God was. But there are all sorts of laws about what you could eat and couldn't eat, what you could wear and couldn't wear, what you could touch and couldn't touch. Um, the law about circumcision had, had to do with this. You know, it, it was about cutting, like circumcision, the idea of circumcision was that it was cutting away impurity. Um, and it was a symbol of the fact that we need to be made pure in order to come into the presence of God. And, and it seems like that's 
kind of an issue that the people were struggling with on Crete, as he says, you know, especially those in verse 10 of the circumcision party. That was one of the issues, you know, these people that said, no, you have to be circumcised if you want to be a true member of the church. Um, and, and then it also talks about in verse 14 that these people were devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. It, it sounds like these people who are, you know, listening to these myths, these Jewish myths, and they were like adding on all of these commands, all of these rules that you had to do in order to be clean, in order to be pure. But the reality is, um, as in verse 15, where you see that to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. He juxtaposes the idea of being pure with being unbelieving, right? And so what, what does it mean to be pure? It, it means to, to believe, to believe in, in God, to trust in him and what he has done for us. How do we become clean? How do we become pure? Well, the Bible says over and over again, including with those clean laws in the Old Testament, we are not clean. We cannot clean ourselves. We cannot purify ourselves. We need something, someone, a supernatural act to work to change us, right? Jesus himself talked about purity and impurity, cleanliness and, and uncleanness when he, when he said it's not what is outside of a person that makes them unclean, it's what's inside of them. And what we all need is for God to change us and transform us, to do a work for us from outside. That is what the gospel is about. It's about the fact that I am a sinner, I am unclean, and the only way that I can be accepted and forgiven and loved by God is if he does a work for me through the person of Jesus to make me clean. If he does a work for me through the work of the Spirit of God to change me and make me pure. It's about what God has done for me and, and trusting him and surrendering to him and, 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 and living in reliance on him. That's what it means to be pure. And the, and the beauty is, is that once you are pure, if you believed in Jesus and received what he has done for you, and you know that your standing with God is certain, and you are secure, and he loves you, and he's working for you, then all things are pure. You don't have to worry about, you know, am I doing the wrong thing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I, am, 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 is God going to love me less because I didn't do this, or I messed up here? You know, to the pure, all things are pure. You're pure. You have this, this sense of security. Your identity is secure. But if you're not pure, if you haven't received the work of God, then, then you're constantly afraid. You're constantly worried. And this is, and this is what, what Paul is encouraging Titus to encourage the elders and the people of Crete to fix their eyes on. The purity that only God can give through the work of Jesus. And the the security and the peace that comes along with that. It's about what he has done, not what I can do. I started off talking about the challenge of being alone in the wilderness. One of the things that it's your greatest priority is to find water and to make sure you purify that water by boiling it or filtering it somehow, right? Because if you don't drink purified water, what will that water do to you? If your water is contaminated, it will contaminate you, and it won't go well for you, right? This, this past week, I was watching this one episode where this guy who couldn't build any fire, he's, he's desperate, right? So he, he gets his, his little pot, and, and he's got some water in it, and he pours it. He's like, you know, the water is a little, a little brown, I realize, but he pours it through the, through the moss, 
And it comes out the moss on the other side into the, into the, the lid of his pot, and, and it's clear. It's, it's no longer brown. So he's like, well, that's a good sign. So I'm, I'm desperate. I, I'm just going to drink this and hope everything goes okay. And as he's drinking that, I'm just like, I don't know if that's going to go well for you, man. And he drinks a good amount of it. And then that night, guess what happens? He starts getting these severe stomach cramps. He can't sleep. He has shakes, like he's not cold, but he's shaking. And then he starts hallucinating. This water is polluted, it's contaminated, and it has contaminated him. And in the end, his only choice the next morning is to call the guys up and be like, I'm tapping out, come get me. Jesus, in the book of John, compares himself to water as well. I'm sure you're familiar with some of those passages. You know, in, in John 4, where he meets with the woman at the well, he says, you know, if you would have asked me for a drink, you'd have received living water. In John 7, he says, come, those who believe in me, streams of living water will flow from within them. Right? Jesus claims to be a different kind of water, a, a water that is so pure that when we drink of him, he doesn't contaminate, it, contaminate us, but he actually purifies us. It makes us new, makes us alive. In 1 John 3, he says, uh, John writes this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And skipping down to verse 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Jesus is a different kind of water. He's the kind of water that if we will drink of him, if we will believe in him and trust in him and count on him to fill us up, then instead of contaminating us, he's going to purify us. Drinking of Jesus results in purification. It results in real change within us that results in a different kind of life. It results in a life that is, that is accepted and forgiven and loved by God. It, resu it results in a life that is, that is at peace and secure. All because the death and the resurrection of Jesus cleanses us of all our sin. Our task is to come to him and drink deeply and often. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the reminder to us of, of all of the ways that we can be contaminated. That the way that we think and, and what we believe can be contaminated as we are pulled away from this beautiful, beautiful joy-filling truth that Christ has come, that he has lived and died and risen again, and that because of Jesus, we can be made new. Father, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, that we might not move away from him. Help us to drink deeply of Jesus. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to God's word, let's uh, confess our uncleanness and our need for cleansing with the prayer of confession that's printed in your order of worship. It's also up on the screen. Let's pray it together. God of peace, Father of mercy, God of all comfort, we confess, that, we confess before you the evil of our hearts. We acknowledge that we are too inclined toward anger, jealousy, and revenge, to ambition and pride, which often give rise to discord and bitter feelings. Too often have we thus both offended and grieved you. Forgive us this sin and permit us to partake of the blessing you have promised the peacemakers, who shall be called the children of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's take a moment now to confess our individual sin in the privacy of our own hearts. pray this all in the name of the one who is truly the living water, Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 103, 8 to 12 says this, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Amen. Let's continue to worship him.